I'm back. Sorry for the delay. I have something for you. First, listen to this. Episode 6. We're here. We've made it. Episode 6 is my favorite. Ah, There we go. Okay. I've got my bottle of rosé open, and I plan to have a sensible two or three glasses before the night is through. Let's talk about Dennis. We need to talk about Dennis. A lot of people have already talked about the way the edit makes him look in this episode, and honestly, so what? Don't tell me about good television. I know about good television, and this is it. So, episode six. Let's start at the beginning. Sounds perfectly valid, right? There's nothing particularly strange about what I just played. Apart from maybe a certain moral bankruptcy. Except... This is what this recording was originally. Ep-e-sode six. We're here. We've made it. Oh boy. Alright, you know how I said episode three was my favorite? Well, episode six is my least favorite. Not in love, more like not in hell. That's not anything. That doesn't make sense. Not nodding hell? I don't know. What I'm saying is this is the worst goddamn episode in either season, and I hate it. Okay, every single person who worked on this episode should have lost their job. Philip Mancini is still producing the show for Styles and Wordly, and that's a travesty. There we go. Okay, I've got my bottle of rosé open, and I plan to have a sensible two or three glasses before the night is through. Ugh. Let's talk about Dennis. All right, we need to talk about Dennis. Forget Kevin. We need to talk about Dennis. A lot of people have already talked about the way the edit makes him look in this episode, and honestly, they're right. Okay, sure, it's good television to have a villain. So what? It's dishonest. It's awful. Don't tell me about good television. I know about good television, and this isn't it. So, episode six. Let's start at the beginning. Dennis is an angel, and he deserves better than this. This is why you can't always trust your ears. If you don't recognize it, I probably don't. This is a clip from episode 6 of The Ropeless Romantic, a podcast that discusses and reacts to the show Not In Love. For a little bit of context, since most of you probably won't be familiar with it, Not In Love was a short-lived reality show that aired when I was, uh, God. I was, I was still in school, so younger than, I would have been a teenager, let's leave it at that. Anyway, the basic premise was that they took these 24 lifestyle members of the kink community and put them through a series of challenges to determine their familiarity with different types of BDSM and the use of safety tools and aftercare. And I mean, obviously this was daytime television, like uh, pre-Nev mass media, so it was all pretty sanitized. Full disclosure, I never really watched it. I'm not a reality TV person Uh, But it's my understanding that they tended to lean pretty heavily on stuff like rope bondage and role play because it didn't get into the same sort of unsafe for prime time territory as a lot of other stuff did. 
it sort of started out as this elimination challenge type thing, and then as the challenges went on, you sort of naturally started developing certain elements of drama. People feuding, people falling in love, etc. etc. I think the idea was that it was originally supposed to be kind of educational, making people more aware of kink culture and safe sex practices, but it's reality television. So, of course, the producers had the whole thing cut in the most dramatic and inflammatory way possible. Kinksters hated it. There was a lot of discussion about how it misrepresented the BDSM community. It only barely got renewed for a second season, and it never got renewed for a third. I know it probably seems like I've gone off on a tangent, but this is actually extremely relevant to what I was talking about. One of the biggest points of critique consistently levied at reality shows had to do with confessionals, these solo asides in which contestants would respond to things that had happened on set. In the interests of so-called good television, contestants would often be encouraged to play into the sort of character they had been assigned if they wanted to stay on the show. And a lot of the confessionals would involve talking about other contestants in ways that were unflattering or sometimes even actively disparaging. Now, obviously not everyone who decides to go on a reality TV show is automatically a terrible person who's willing to throw their castmates under the bus for ratings and the promise of a prize. Which is where the editing comes in. I picked this episode of The Ropeless Romantic because Not in Love was actually legendary for this. If there's one thing you can say about members of the kink community, it's that most of them are pretty attentive and conscientious. You kind of have to be when your whole thing has to do with balancing power dynamics and intimacy. It comes with the territory. And with that in mind, part of the reason there was such a huge backlash from the BDSM community had to do with the way confessionals were being edited. Comments were being taken out of context or applied to different situations than they were made in response to. And in one particularly notorious example, the production team hacked together different parts of multiple confessionals from a single contestant to make it sound like they were saying something they'd never said. And then in order to hide the obvious continuity issues caused by cutting together multiple videos taken at different times, they applied the audio as a voiceover to a replay of the scene they were making it look like a response to. And it worked. The contestant in question was vilified. For years afterwards, people really, truly believed he was some sort of manipulative abuser. Despite the majority of his fellow contestants coming forward to dispute and denounce the way the production team had portrayed him in the show. The reason it worked is because humans are, for the most part, visual animals. We're more likely to perceive minute discrepancies in a visual medium than we are in, say, an audio one. Now we come full circle, back to my earlier examples. What I've done here to poor Ropeless is very similar to a confessional edit. By reworking his audio in a way that changes the meaning of what he's saying, I'm able to misrepresent his opinions and personality in a way that suits my objective. In this case, my objective was to show you how deceptive editing works in pre-nav audio media and how to identify it on your own. 
Now that you've listened to the original audio, if you go back and listen closely to my edit, I think you'll probably be able to identify at least some of the splices I made. Even if you can't, and it all still sounds seamless and natural to your ear, that's not the end of the world. As counterintuitive as this sounds, it is sometimes possible to visually identify manipulated audio. Looking at the waveform of my edit, you might notice points where it behaves strangely. Sudden but subtle shifts in pattern that don't seem like a natural evolution of the frequency. But before you go squinting at waveforms, there is an easier way to do this. If you are someone unfamiliar with audio and audio editing, you will probably have a better chance looking at the spectrogram. It's a more comprehensive and accessible visual representation of an audio file. To clarify, there are tools and applications you can use to algorithmically identify whether or not audio has been edited, but they pick up a lot of false positives. They miss certain edits that it'd be obvious to an experienced editor, and even when they do pick up edits correctly, not all edits are malicious. Some of them are just people cutting out ums and uhs, or not even intended to be disguised, like editor's notes or corrections. What I want you to look out for are specifically the tells of when something has been moved or removed. One of the easiest ways to do this as an amateur is to look at background noise, environmental sound. If a recording wasn't taken in a treated space, you can tell a lot about it based on the sound beneath the sound. Take a, take a second to look up those videos of people... Um, What's it called? <laughs> uh, when they're in the empty houses and they... Um... Urban exploration. People take videos of themselves walking through abandoned buildings, room by room, and it's weirdly invasive, but also really interesting. You know what? I could just... No. I can get into spatial recognition of sound some other time if people want me to. That's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about how to identify if audio has been altered in a way that casts doubt on the validity of its contents. The most obvious tells are environmental sounds that you can hear, because you can identify those just by ear. If an environmental sound cuts, or changes frequency, out of nowhere, you know that the remainder of that sound, the natural degradation or evolution of it, has either been suppressed or removed. If this happens in the middle of a sentence, it can mean a couple of things. If the sound disappears and then returns, either somebody got a little too trigger-happy doing noise suppression between words, or something small has been removed. If the sound suddenly stops, and is notably absent or significantly changed in the next few words, it's been spliced. Either a big chunk was removed, or things have been shuffled. I'll go back and cut those gaps for you so you can hear, will have heard, uh, what I mean. It's easy for me to give you audible, identifiable examples of this, because... Whole. That's why I don't really edit my posts. The only thing weirder and more distracting than hearing the whole is hearing the whole cut in and out. But we don't all live in the sink. Environmental sound isn't always obvious or audible, and when it's not, you look at the spectrogram. When you see intrusive environmental noise in a recording, 
If you do see it, you'll usually see it at the bottom of the spectrogram because lower frequencies have more penetration. That's what ends up coming through. And you can recognize them. Uh, For example, a car passing by has a pretty distinctive visual shape. It kind of like tapers out, widening and solidifying as it gets nearer and louder, and then it tapers back in as it recedes into the distance. On the other hand, things like household electronics, which are fixed and unmoving, tend to show up as either consistent and ongoing or varied but rhythmic sounds. Now, with something like an air conditioning unit, you'll usually see an unbroken line just above the bottom of the spectrogram that continues on for as long as the unit is active. But with something like an old computer with a fan-based cooling system, your line usually kicks in, kicks up, and then dies down in a repeating pattern. You do see that with some higher frequency environmental sounds too. For example, if you're editing something with audible birds in the background, after a while you start to recognize their presence visually as these thin little swooping lines around the midpoint of the spectrogram. Basically, if you do this sort of thing enough, you'll start recognizing certain sounds. Visually recognizing them. Before you do anything else, though, you should decide whether or not you need to clean up your audio. In recordings with a lot of background noise, all that sound can obscure visual tells. I'm not going to get into how to do that. There are so many resources online that can teach you how to do normalization and noise suppression and EQ and whatever. That shit is older than me. I will caution you against using prefab algorithmic plugins, though, because they're too smart sometimes. They're so smart they might scrub away any sign of what you're looking for along with everything else. And that's something to realize. All of what I'm saying is contingent on the assumption that the edit you're looking for is either older than the NEV, or was done by somebody who isn't proficient in hiding their tracks. If your editor knows what they're doing, you might just be shit out of luck you're better off doing some good old-fashioned sleuthing on the actual content at that point. But assuming your edit is old or amateur, uh, speaking of EQ, something you can do is use an EQ to cut away the very bottom of a frequency to make inaudible environmental sounds more visually apparent. That'd be something like 0 to 50 hertz if you want to go really gentle and not disrupt low-register sounds, 0 to 100 if you want a little bit more visual clarity, Um, so what EQ does when you use it this way is remove anything inside of that frequency range. Visually, it creates a line at the bottom of the spectrogram that separates your low-frequency background noise from the zero hertz ground floor, which helps because, well, it's, it's kind of an optical thing. You might not actually be able to hear any difference, but you'll see one. It has more to do with how your eyes work than how the sound does. Having that line under your ambient noise gives you a flat visual plane, a reference point by which to more easily spot subtle variations in the ambient noise above it. You've given yourself a ruler, or a level. I didn't mean to turn this into an intro to audio editing class. I mean, I I guess it's relevant to what we do, so there's that. It's on topic. I'm not off topic. And, And please understand, before anybody gets carried away, I'm not an expert either. I just have... 
a little experience with this. It's something I enjoy. Honestly, I probably would have gone to school for audio engineering if I hadn't... Well. You know. But things are different now. So different that any skills I developed in my own only have a very limited practical use. So. Yeah. Anyway, ultimately, spotting malicious edits all comes down to recognizing patterns and breaks in those patterns. I don't think I've explained this very well, and there are elements to it that I genuinely couldn't explain without having to commit to teaching this entire community the fundamentals of video and audio editing, and I don't... I don't feel like I'm qualified to do that. Some of you are definitely more experienced with this than I am, and I'm sure you'll be very prompt in letting me know all the ways I've gotten absolutely everything wrong. So if one of you wants to take the initiative and teach people, cool. Go for it. But, yeah. All this to say, with pre-nev and off-nev media, you have to be a little more careful. And always keep an ear out. Clever visual editing will do most of the legwork necessary to ensure your ears don't catch any audible breaks in rhythm. When you're watching, you aren't always hearing. Not properly. And what you can't see, you might be able to hear. But you have to listen. And you have to be looking. So, stay safe. Stay smart. And try not to fall into any holes. <laughs>